Welcome to the Brazil Church of the Nazarene. This is a sermon from November 18, 2018, titled, Christ's Example and Exaltation. Last week, Pastor Marlon Betts looked at Paul's account of the humiliation of Jesus, that is, his plunge from heaven to his death on the cross. This week, we will look at the other side, Christ's rapid rise back to his supreme position in heaven. The plunge and rise form both sides of the V in the story of Christ, and both sides are necessary if we are to experience spiritual victory through Christ. Let's listen. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus. Messiah. This is beginning the uh, Thanksgiving season, going into Advent season, and we've got a lot of things that's happening, coming up, going on, keeping us busy in the commercialization of the season of the year from Black Friday on where we, we need to remember, we say this so often that we just kind of, the reason for the season, we just need to think about this, it's about God, it's about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Debbie and I are taking a couple of weeks of vacation, Lord willing, that's the plan anyway. So uh, we've got some of our friends that will be speaking in the next couple of Sundays. Don't stay away just because I'm not here. I know you don't come to see me, but just keep coming and keep participating and and uh, keep worshiping and and the sermons will probably be shorter while I'm gone. We're looking at Philippians chapter 2 as we uh, bring this section to an end, this glorious hymn of of Paul writing, and we already heard it uh, read this morning in our call to worship, and uh, I'm kind of excited about it, and by the time I get back, we'll be in the Advent season, and we'll have our Christmas program, so it's going to flow pretty quickly, but we are grateful that this portion is here, and it really kind of leads us right in to this Thanksgiving Christmas kind of feeling, because we're exalting Jesus Christ. As we uh, stand together, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant or a slave and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Shock, shock. Even the death of a cross. The cross. That's a shock. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Lord, we celebrate the name which is above every name. We celebrate Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, we just thank you that this season of the years, we just bring this together 
We just pray that you will just help us all to focus on the exalted Lord and Savior and become like you as much as we possibly can and work like you in our world around us. Thank you, Lord. Our desire is to serve you today. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage is one that I hope you have or soon will commit to memory. <laughs> Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And the whole humiliation and the whole exaltation. We saw last week Christ's example in humiliation. Jesus started at the top of the V with his preexistence as an equal member of the Godhead. Then he plunged down the V through his incarnation as a man and finally his crucifixion as a criminal or a slave. Even the death of the cross. Therefore connects us now to the other side of the V as we head back up. As today we will see how Jesus quickly exalted back to the other side of the V. Humiliation was followed by exaltation. That should give us the hope as we face our battles on earth because Christians who stay true to the example of Christ will have some humiliation in life. But there will come a time of exaltation. Amen? So as Pastor Mike told me on Wednesday night, the V stands for victory. So Pastor Mike, he's smarter than me. He came up with that. The V stands for victory. Going down, next, uh, the uh, humiliation, coming back up, the exaltation. So, thank you. I, he doesn't have all that silver hair for nothing. Let's look at Christ's exaltation this morning in three sections. The first is that Jesus was exalted. By whom? By God. And that's an important thing. Exalted by God. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, meaning Jesus. Therefore, God has also highly exalted Jesus. The word therefore forms the connection at the bottom of the V. It is because Christ was willing to complete his mission, even the death of the cross, that therefore God also has highly exalted him. The two go together. It is the slaughtered lamb who will be worshipped in heaven. When the ancient Christian artist, and you've seen probably some of those in the old Bibles, they used to have a section in the middle of, of paintings and, and whatever from artists. But lots, when, when they depicted Christ in heaven, they always showed him with his wounds. Now whether he actually will have them or they're totally healed, I don't know. But that is the way that they depict Jesus because they want us to realize that it is the one reigning in heaven who has the thorns and, and his brow and, and the spear in his side and the nail prints in his hands and feet. Because he died for us. In fact, there's a song, I shall know him, I shall know him. And redeemed by his side I shall stand, I shall know him. I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hands. Isn't that powerful? The phrase highly exalted here is another specific word, it's a compound word that Paul chose in this letter. This is the only place it's used in the entire New Testament. It is a compound Greek word. The first Part of the compound is the word hyper. <laughs> That's exactly the way you would translate it in Greek. Hyper. 
You know what hyper is, don't you? We use it now as a person who's, you know, we have other acronyms for him, but hyper and then exalted. So it means that he is super exalted. To exalt to the highest place, to exalt beyond measure. It simply means that God lifted Jesus up to the highest position possible. He was no longer limited to a human body. But he was totally restored to his position as part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity, there in heaven. And this just immediately happens because of his death on the cross. Boom. God has hyper-exalted him to his position. One more thing we need to notice here, and that is the change in subject. And I mentioned this as, as we emphasized this when we were given the headline to this point. Jesus was exalted by God. See, on the way down in the humiliation, Jesus is the one Paul has doing the action. But in the exaltation side, it's not Jesus doing the action. It is God the Father doing the action. God has exalted Jesus. God gives him a name that is above every name. God is doing the action now. And this is an important change. Because it's our responsibility to complete Christ's mission for our lives. It's our responsibility to do whatever it takes to get to the cross in our lives and to give ourselves out for the cost of Jesus Christ. And we're talking about how do we give ourselves to our community? How do we reach them for Jesus? That's our job. Our job is to do whatever it takes to fulfill our mission. Why does God have you here? What is your purpose? That's our responsibility. We fulfill our responsibility, therefore, God then does any exalting that will take place as a result of our faithfulness. Amen? A lot of us would like to do our exalting. No, God does the exalting. And I think that's important. Uh, it's our responsibility to complete the mission. But it is God's responsibility to reward us for our faithfulness. And Jesus spoke on this issue in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about the religious leaders who, who would go around and, and give out in charity, and or they called them alms in those days, and, or, and they would sound a trumpet so everybody could see, here comes the Pharisee or whoever he was, and, and he's going to hand out to the poor in the city, but he wants to make sure that all the TV camera crews were there. And when it came time to pray, he'd go stand on the street corner and make these long prayers so everybody could see him. And it was time for fasting, he'd put on his, his, all his sackcloth and, and his ashes, and he'd go around looking really dirty and, and oh, so sad-faced, out in public so everybody would see him and say, oh, what a religious person. And Jesus said about them, but in each case, because he gave that illustration three different times, he said, surely they have their reward. But he said, you, when you're giving out alms, or when you're praying, or when you are fasting, do it in secret. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Big difference. In fact, in another setting, two or three times, I think it's in Mark and Luke, Jesus said, whoever humbles himself will be exalted, but he who exalts himself will be humbled. 
You see, it's our job to fulfill our mission, even if it's humiliation, even if it, people laugh at us, even if we get persecuted like the Philippians or whatever, but it is God's job to do the exaltation if there's any to be done. So that's the first point being made is that Jesus was responsible to complete his mission. Then it became God's privilege to give Jesus the hyper-exaltion, super-exalted him to his place back in the Trinity as part of the body of Christ to make sure that he was resurrected, make sure that he was ascended, to make sure he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That was God's privilege to give him the recognition he deserved. Jesus was exalted by God. Secondly, Jesus' name was exalted. It's given him a name which is above every other name. In the biblical world, the name was more than a label. Today, I don't know where people get names. They just pick them out. But in the biblical world, almost, well, a lot of times, key characters anyway, they had a name, and the name meant something. It talked about their character. It talked about um, their identity, um, what their skill set was, or maybe what they were going to become. Very important. Many times, the name. In fact, there are some characters in the Bible who actually got their names changed. Because their character changed. Their responsibilities had changed. And so they needed a change in name. And so sometimes we just choose names and, and don't think about that fact. It, it's not a big deal. But it used to be. And so when he talks about here, he's giving him a name that is above every name. Because Jesus fulfilled his mission, now he is getting a name that is going to be above every name. In the world. And I read a lot of discussion this week on what Christ's name is now that he is exalted and in heaven. There's a lot of argument, as pro and con, about each word that it possibly could be. And I'm going to give you my solution after a while. But initially, of course, I'm right. But some like the name Jesus because they give him a name that is above every other name. And, and it goes on to say that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Some favor Lord, because the next phrase says that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So I think a lot of it depends upon your emphasis. If you want to emphasize Jesus on the V going down, where he is the one who buys our salvation on the cross, then the name Jesus means a lot. But if on the other side you want to look at the, the side of Jesus being exalted to be the king over all kings and lord over all lords and being the number one person in the universe who's going to sit there and judge us with a nail prince in his hand, if that's true, then you might want to like the name Lord and put a lot of emphasis on that. And uh, I like them both. You know, sometimes I call him Jesus, sometimes I call him Lord, and sometimes I call him Christ, and sometimes... I just say your wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and 50,000 other things that are in the Bible for, for God. I mean, there's a lot of names that we could call him, but the name that is above every name. It's a very interesting concept. 
And that's Christ's point, or, or Paul's point. Christ's name is above. Above. There's something different about Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior. There's something about that name. His name is special. His name is awe-inspiring. His name is without comparison. There's nobody else like that. And he continued that, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And there's an interesting word change here in the Greek that is not found in English translations, and I, and I changed it when I was reading it. I hope that you, you may have caught it, may have not, because it's just a little preposition. But a preposition can make all the difference. It says in our English Bibles, at the name of Jesus. But in the Greek, and I didn't find this in any translations, the Greek says, in the name of Jesus. That's important. At the name of the Jesus, it sounds like, well, when we hear the name Jesus, when we get to heaven, at the name of Jesus, every knee was going to bow. So they're going to say, Jesus, and we're all going to fall on our feet, or our knees, or bow before him. Because of the name. And that could be true for some people. That that's what's going to happen. They're going to be forced to their knees in front of Jesus Christ at heaven. But in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Applies not only to worship. But our time of prayer. Because Jesus himself said, ask anything in my name. In my name. So for me as a Christian, it makes much more meaning to me to say that in the name of Jesus, I'm going to bow. Some sinners are going to be forced to bow at the name of Jesus. And that's probably why they choose that word. But Christians choose to worship and pray in the name of Jesus. We pray and worship because of the character and identity of the name of Jesus Christ. What does he mean to me? That's what the name is, his character and identity. And so I kneel in his name. I pray in his name. I worship in his name. It's not because I'm forced to. It's because I want to. Well, why all this focus on Jesus' name being above every other name? Because to understand God, and so many have this wrong, to understand God, we don't need a definition of God and then try to, to fit our understanding with it. No, what we do to understand God is we first focus on Jesus, the Son of God, and allow him to reveal to us what God is like. Focus on God, try to fit Jesus into that focus and cram him into our filter of what God is. No, let's just discover Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus is the closest thing to what we can understand God as because he became one of us. How did he act? How did he talk? What did he do? The things that he did. And then we see God is revealed through Jesus into our lives. Jesus' name was exalted 
Because Jesus is how we know what God is like. And so I bow in the name of Jesus today. And thank him for our relationship and for his example and for the things that he's doing in my life. Paul made one more emphasis about Jesus, and this is the one I'll spend the most time on. And one of my favorite sections in the Bible. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And boy, it just, just gets to me. And so we're going to look at that. Jesus will be universally exalted. Universally exalted. There are two parallel statements here that Paul makes. Every knee, every tongue. Every knee, every tongue. And I think Paul was purposely reworking Isaiah 45 into this section. Repeated in Isaiah 45 is the idea, thus says the Lord. Lord in the capitals meaning Yahweh, Jehovah. Thus says the Lord, I am the Lord and there is no other. says that throughout that chapter in various ways. Exactly like that in about three or four places. Now let me read how this chapter ends. Thus says the Lord, I am God, there is none other. Emphasis. So he's calling the people here at the end, assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations. They have no knowledge who carry the wood of their carved image and pray to a God that cannot save. I am the Lord, see, there is no other. So what are they doing carrying their carved idols around, praying to them? Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord, and there is no other besides me, a just God and a Savior? There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. And here's the word that goes out that shall never come back because it is the truth. And it's going out. He said that to me, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall take an oath. And what will they say? He will say, surely the Lord... Surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Hmm. To the glory of God the Father. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. Isaiah 45, verse 23. See, Paul is writing that because of his humiliation down that side of the V that Jesus should now receive the worship from all creation. The worship that in Isaiah 45 was reserved for Yahweh alone. So let's look at every knee and every tongue separately. Draw all this together. 
Paul was stating that there's going to be a universal submission to Jesus Christ. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. The bowing of the knee before someone has always meant that that person bowing is paying respect and honor and allegiance to the one you're bowing to, the person in authority. Now inside, you may not like that person, but when you're in his presence, you're going to kneel down before him because he is whoever he is, Caesar or king, a famous person or whatever the case may be. And so you say, I acknowledge you as being over me. That's what bowing the knee means. It brings to mind the scene that John saw and recorded in Revelation 4 and 5, where it talks about the big throne room and the people falling before him and claiming him Lord and Savior and sevenfold admonition of praise to God and the, and the creatures that are there, they're bowing too and on and on it goes. It's just, it's a beautiful scene. Universal submission. They're worshiping God, the Father, and the Lamb, Jesus Christ. So Paul is declaring that the one who emptied himself, took on that human body, died a slave's death on the cross, is now to be worshipped as the Lord of the universe. Who is going to bow the knee before God? Paul wrote the answer. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. A lot of discussion on this. It simply means to me, in other words, all angels, all humans, and all demons are going to bow before Jesus Christ. Anything that's, I don't care whether the trees bow or the rabbits bow or the deer bow, that doesn't matter to me. But anything that has human that made a choice or is angelic or demons, they have a choice and they made their choice and they are all going to one day bow before Jesus Christ. Angels, humans, demons. Now there will be no doubt that some of this group will not want to bow before Jesus. There's going to be some in this group that are not going to want to use their tongue and declare Jesus Christ as Lord. They're not going to want to. Why, they've given their whole energies, their whole time, their whole, everything they've got to prove otherwise, to fight for Satan and to try to, to show that he is, he is the true way or, or somebody else is the true way. and Some other God, some Buddha or something is the way or whatever. They've, they've given their energies in their life teaching people and showing that way. And demons have been pushing this. And angels, of course, have been pushing that Jesus is Lord. And so we have this constant struggle throughout all of humankind history. Some are not going to want to say that. Jesus Christ is Lord. Some sinful men, and certainly the demons, will not willingly submit. But they will submit to the authority of God. They will bow before Jesus Christ. They will declare him Lord. And part of me thinks I will be in, there in heaven looking around and watching it happen. Well, here's some of those guys that are famous in history for saying there is no God, and writing those words and, and publishing them, and then being People who read them and say, well, so-and-so said this, and 
you know, quoting them and whatever. And then there's those despots over that killed millions of people through their uh, armies and through their authority. And you just want to kind of look around and say, oh, there's Hitler. Look at him bow. <laughs> there's Mussolini. And there, oh, there's Stalin. There's, you know, you just kind of want to peek around. The problem is when I get to heaven, I'm going to be so overwhelmed by the power and grace of, that all I'm going to do is follow myself. I don't care about anybody else because it's going to be so awesome. And I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus that I'm not going to worry about what you guys are doing or what anybody else is doing. I just get as low as I can and thank him for coming and dying on a cross for me. I shall know him by the prints of the nails in his hands. I doubt if I'm going to care about anybody else. When will this bowing the knee occur? Certainly in heaven. But for Christians, the bowing begins the day we knelt at an altar of prayer, confessed our sins, and in the shadow of cross, asked Jesus to save us, forgive us, give us another chance, let us start life over. That's when we first bow, right? And when we bow at that moment, whether it's literally on our knees or in our heart on our knees before God and laying these things out before him, at that moment, when we continue to do it throughout our life, that's why I say, we're in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Because I've been doing it for years. And so have you. And it's not because I'm forced to, it's because I want to. So we do it on a regular basis, and we'll continue to do that for the rest of eternity, so you might as well just kind of get used to the fact of saying, Lord, I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, and I submit myself to your will again today. But besides this universal submission to Jesus Christ, Paul also is stating that there's going to be a universal declaration about Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow in the name of Jesus, and every tongue will confess, declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to start this thought process. Jehovah's Witness will come around, right? I hope they listen to the podcast and talk about them. And they'd knock on our door, and as a as young college and seminary educated, I used to take them on. Now, I don't know, for some reason, I think they mark your doors and they don't come back. So I'd meet them at the door, and they'd try to give you the pamphlets, because they get credits, you know, for every pamphlet they distribute. So some people, they're good Christians, all they just take their pamphlet and, and throw it in the trash, no, don't do that because you get, they get credit and points. <laughs> anyway, I don't care. Take them. <laughs> Watch our magazine. Anyway, um, so they, they come. What do you think about paradise? They get into these little things and whatever. And then they start telling you about Jehovah in the Old Testament, which is Yahweh. And they say the English version, which is Jehovah. And how that he is alone is God. There is no trinity. And Jesus was just a man. 
So we pray to Jehovah in the Old Testament. We are saved through Jehovah, Old Testament, not Jesus. That's why they're called Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. So they get into this thing about how the Lord in the Old Testament is the word for Jehovah, Yahweh. And, uh, and it's interesting because then we get into this argument about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, Word was with God. Same was in the beginning with God. No, that says he was a God. So they technically in the Greek and all this. So I'm discussing all this with him. And then the Lord, the Holy Spirit, reminded me of this passage. And I flipped to it and showed him where it says, Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What? Oh, I don't say that. Show it to me. And I'm looking at it up in there. Yeah, that's what it says. Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, we're going to have to go back and talk to our teachers about this, whatever. I don't know if you know this, but they're not allowed to read the Bible on their own. They can only read their Bible when somebody is there who teaches them what it means and gives them their interpretation of it because they take the passage where, or where um, Philip is caught up with the chariot, I think it is, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, I can't understand it unless someone explains it to me. So they use that passage to say that you cannot study God's word on your own. You have to have somebody to explain it to you. So that's how they get brainwashed into their particular belief system. It's kind of interesting when you really think about it, and I wasn't going to add all that in there. But anyway, God gave that to me that day. Jesus Christ is Lord, and they said, we got to go talk about this. They never came back. So I, anyway, mark on my door. Um, but it turns out that my spirit-inspired answer is correct. You see, when Paul read the Old Testament... He could have read it in the Hebrew, but more likely, since he was outside of that, he read it also from the Septuagint, which is the Greek version. The Greek version would have had Lord, Kurios, and when he comes now to the New Testament to talk about Lord, he uses the word Kurios. So when he is writing here to the Philippians... He is saying, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's the same word for Jehovah in the Old Testament in the Septuagint. Same word for Yahweh. And to Paul and to me, there is no difference. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Is the declaration that we may be making when we get to heaven. The unmentionable name, we don't even know what it is. The I am of the Old Testament, the I am of Jesus, claiming it in the New Testament, right? The I am is the letters of Yahweh, and we don't know how to pronounce it, and they put the bowels of Adonai with it, and that's how we get Yahweh, the word that we say, or Jehovah in English. <laughs> So every tongue will confess in light of Paul reworking Isaiah 45 where he quotes 
Yahweh is saying, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. And I think he's putting that here in the New Testament and putting it now to Jesus. To me, it's a statement that says Jesus Christ is Lord, which is Yahweh. Which may be the name that is above all names because it's always been the name above all names. That's my thought, so I'm right. And Yahweh is Israel's one and only God, the ruler of the cosmos, the creator of it all. And certainly Jesus is that. Ruler, creator, but he's more than that because he's the savior. So now Yahweh means a whole lot more than it ever did before. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. And after all this exaltation of Jesus, well, just, just in fact, in Paul's other writings, uh, he, he makes a statement, and others have known this in the, in the early church, that their declaration of faith was, Jesus is Lord. As he says it here, Jesus Christ is Lord. In fact, uh, let's see, Romans 10, 9, 1 Corinthians 12, 3. The title Lord identified Jesus as the ruler of the universe. So after all of this, from taking that passage in Isaiah where it actually states, knees going to bow, tongues going to confess, and he puts it there now, Jesus is that Yahweh. So after all this, Paul wrote that the glory of all this goes to God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So monotheism has been redefined by Paul, that Christ's exaltation does not detract from the Father's glory, but it enhances the Father's glory. Everything that Jesus did in humiliation and everything the Father does in exaltation of Jesus, it all brings glory to the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are being glorified by what has taken place. This is their plan. Jesus fulfilled the plan. He's back with the, with the Father and the Spirit, and they in heaven have completed the plan. One God, one plan, our salvation. Jesus is Yahweh. Why did this universal exaltation of Jesus, what does it mean to the Philippians? Because that's Paul's writing it to them. Well, the Greek and Roman system in which the Philippians lived, was a world of many gods. The Greek, Greek gods, Zeus and all those, and then the, the Roman gods, Mars and Pluto. And, I mean, they had this system. And... Uh, Studying some of my history, sometimes you run into things. If, if, if you are a sea uh, merchant, one who has ships on the seas, you better pray to certain gods. You'll have a good voyage. Those gods get angry, your ship will be lost. So you better build the temple and do the sacrifices and whatever to Neptune. And if you, you know, depending on what you're doing, your issue, who you, what you're involved in, you got to be very careful. You got to make sure all the gods get appeased to have to do with your particular thing. Because if you miss it, tragedy will strike. Can you imagine what this costs these people? And so that's the world that they lived in. 
And so, Roman emperors, such as Caesar, and Caesar is just the title, there's a whole lot of different ones, they would, they would be going around, they would say, Caesar is Lord. That was a, a direct thing that they would be saying. He was declared Lord of all the world, quote unquote. So this declaration, Jesus Christ is Lord, would have carried serious social implications for the Philippian Christians if they were to greet each other by saying, Jesus is Lord. What would they have done in their community? What would that have meant in front of their peers? So Paul's word in this letter are a direct affront to Caesar, a challenge to his authority. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar could not be Lord. One cannot bow the knee to both God and to the emperor or to any other deity. One had to make a choice between Jesus and all the other deities, including Caesar. And so if you begin to say, no, Jesus is Lord, I'm not bowing to Caesar. I'm not bowing to Aphrodite. I'm not bowing to Zeus. I'm not, you know. So all of a sudden, everybody else in the town is saying, okay, you're getting our town in trouble because you're not praying to the right gods at the right times, and they're going to bring their vengeance down upon us. That's the way they believed. But Paul's words could have also, besides being an affront, would have been affirmation to these Christians because Jesus Christ as Lord means that he is elevated. He's above all gods. He's all above all the goddesses. He's above all the Caesars. He's above the spiritual powers that demanded obedience or threatened their lives. It was simply easier to serve and worship one God, Jesus or Father or Holy Spirit, and worship him only. The story of Jesus who emptied himself out for their salvation turned their whole value system of these Greeks and Romans up on its, upside down. Turned it on his ear. It messed it up. (laughs) Christians got richer. They didn't have to go to this temple and this temple and this temple and this temple and this festival and whatever and pay their homage and dole out their money and do their sacrifices and all that kind of thing. So it really was a blessing in in many ways. But more than just financial, that's, that's pittance. Real honor and real power belong to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is Lord. Therefore, I'm going to serve him regardless of what it costs, regardless of the persecution, regardless of how how hard it is in this world. To say Jesus Christ is Lord was their testimony. It was their fact. It was the way they were living. It changed their lives. They acted better. They lived better than the rest of the citizens. And people began to take notice and say, what's different about you? And I'll tell you what's different about me. Jesus is Lord. And that became their life. And I wonder how many today are scared to say, Jesus is my Lord. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. When I'm at church, when I go to work, that's not in here. So now fast forward to our modern world. Just looking this up, it kind of just came to me and I started looking it up. Allah Akbar. 
It's actually Allahu Akbar. But they say it so fast you don't see it, but it's there. That's been the battle cry of the Muslims. Hope they're listening into the podcast today. I'm just hitting everybody. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is Lord. And all these other stuff are false. They cry that out as their battle cry. It became the battle cry. It started uh, supposedly when uh, Muhammad was here and he was attacking an, an Israeli village of uh, Kayabar, a Jewish village, with his Muslims. And he cried out, Allahu Akbar. As the battle cry, and so then it became their battle cry for all the Muslim wars, including their jihads, their holy wars. And is the word that they use when they strap bombs to themselves and blow themselves up and drive through crowds and wipe them out and whatever before they commit suicide and try to take the infidels, the Christians, with them. But you know what that word means? It's two words. Well, if you talk to the politically correct modern Muslims, they'll tell you that it means God is great. God is great. So that's a good thing that every religion should use. We should all say God is great in our language, and that's just their language of saying God is great. But that's not what it means. That's what they want you to believe, that Allah is just a name for a generic God. So therefore they could just be saying Jesus is great or Buddha is great, whatever the case may be, but that's not really what it means, and that's what not that they understand it means. That's what they'll tell you to be politically correct. But underneath it, it means Allah is greater. That's what he was saying when he was attacking the Jews. Allah is greater than your Jewish God. Allah is greater than... So wherever they go and whenever they attack, whenever they blow themselves up, they're saying, God, our God, Allah, is greater than your God. Allah is greater than any God that you choose to believe in, any deity, anything else in the world. So they are a religion of one God. They're monotheism, just as we are. And many Christians over the years have been murdered by Muslims. Many are still being killed, persecuted. The refugee crisis is part of what they're doing, driving people from their homes, from their lands, because they want to have a clean land with nobody but Allah worshipers. And the world now frowns on killing them, so they drive them out by force. They flee for their lives. Allah is greater. But, ladies and gentlemen, there's coming a day when Allahu Akbar will no longer be said. And all those Muslims who have over the years followed this promise of the, whatever they're going to get when they get to heaven and their paradise or whatever it is, their nirvana, or whatever it is they, they expect to get, they're not going to get that. They're going to be with us at the feet of Jesus, and they're going to bow before him, and they're going to exclaim, not Alu Akbar. They're going to be saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. And they're going to have to acknowledge, along with every other religion,
the book and the cross are true. He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're singing that so worshipfully. And we should. We should. Because in the name of Jesus, I bow today. I claim him my Lord. So now you know how the V is and how it means victory. The humiliation, the exaltation of Jesus Christ. The great result when we follow the example of Christ in humiliation is that God will one day see that we see and experience some form of exaltation. And I don't know what form that's going to take, and I don't really care. There may be through your life enough things that have happened that people will make good statements about you. Not that you're seeking those, but they come. Confidence in you. Confidence in your life and your example and ministry. And that is a form of exaltation. But it's not going to be the same as when we bow before him, cast our crowns at his feet. Whatever we've gained here on earth is nothing compared to what Jesus Christ did for us. And our exalting of any kind is going to be because he is exalted. The king is exalted on high. And our praise is just part of his exaltation. Our praise just gives him more glory. Our belief in him gives him more and more strength and, and, and honor and glory and power be unto him forever and ever. So how are the Philippians and all Christians to follow this example of Christ? Because Paul starts this whole phrase about the, the coming down of Jesus. And the going back up of Jesus by his Father, the exaltation by his Father, he starts the whole thing with, let this mind be in you. So how are the Philippians, how, how are our, us as Christians, how are we supposed to fit this into our lives? Well, some Christians have tried imitation. Mimicking Jesus. St. Francis and his group of followers, they... They tried the life of poverty, and they'd wander around the earth and try to help people and, and live their lives imitating Jesus, living off of the land and off of the charity of people. Let's imitate him. Others have talked about imitating Christ. I don't know if you know it, but every year I see this in Good Friday because of the internet. In the Filipino Christians, there's actually a few who crucify in imitation of Christ. Some of them have done it two or three different times. They go through the whipping or whatever, however extreme they want it to go. And some of them are actually nailed to the cross. Some have died that way. Others are let go. Taken back off. 
imitating Christ. There's been a movement that's gone on for a number of years. It started when I was young, and it was called WWJD. What would Jesus do? And he became a, for a while, a Christian emphasis and a bestseller, and everybody get to bracelets and everybody, which is okay. Again, let's try to imitate Christ. But this imitation of Christ only goes so far. We're talking more than imitation. We're talking about the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you. It's not just what he did or what they did to him. It was his attitude, his fortitude, his meekness, his, his attempt, his gentleness, his agape love, his self-surrender, his humiliation, and his, at any cost, I want to reach out. And bring someone else into the kingdom. That's the mind of Christ. And so we're called not to just imitate traveling his pathways. We are called to become like he is. Ladies and gentlemen, we are called to a higher calling. It's the upward call in Christ Jesus, Paul says in another letter and we are to become like him not an imitation and mimicking but like him in the way we think which then affects the way we act that means that if it means persecution If it means death, if it means somebody pointing their finger, you're one of those Christians. Are you a Nazarene? Because they asked him. Nazarene was a word back then that meant follower of the Nazarene. It was not always a positive thing. It was a very negative thing. And we say, oh, no. I just want to blend in. I want to be a secret spy for Jesus. Jesus, did you see what Sam did? I'm going to spy in the church. I'm a secret disciple. No, really, this mind of Christ is jumping in, folks. It's going all in. It's immersing yourself in this life of Christ, to where he transforms how you live, how you act, transforms the way you live at your house, the way you treat your spouse, the way you raise your children, the way you you influence your grandchildren. It affects what you eat, where you go, how you sleep. It should affect every area of your life. It should be part of who you are. You breathe in Jesus and breathe out Jesus every day. It affects the way you go to work. You're not there to make money. You're there to witness for Jesus Christ. And on the side, you get a paycheck. It affects everything in your life. Reevaluate 
We have been programmed to think about life as the way it is, the way the world wants you to think about it. What's love got to do, got to do with it? Love has everything to do with it if you're in Christ. And you will wait. Ladies and gentlemen, you will wait until you get married. Because the mind in you is of Christ. This is radical thinking in today's world, folks. This is as radical as it gets. Put the mind of Christ, game for that, be that, do that, and feel it. I don't care what the world says. I don't care how they rewrite laws. I don't care how they formulate their opinions and blast them out on the airways. You have one opinion. You have one symbol. And you have one Lord. So for all Christians following the mind of Christ mean recognizing his lordship. What do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to share Jesus with today? Pray for boldness. David, I'm agreeing with you. That when you see that person, you have the boldness to say something to them about Jesus Christ. Share his love. Accept his humility when it comes. Paul challenged us to live our own life inside the life of Jesus. Get inside his mind as much as you possibly can. Understand. That's why I say read the Gospels. Understand the mind of Christ because that is who you are. Christian means Christ-like. Living like Christ, thinking like Christ, acting like Christ, being Christ. You say, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Because you live past Pentecost. Because Christ sent the Holy Spirit when he ascended. And the Holy Spirit now lives inside every one of us as Christians. And he teaches us. And according to Jesus, he guides us into all truth, and he exposes what is not right. And if we will listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, he empowers us with boldness and gives us the ability to live above sin. And we're charged and changed, transformed into the life of Jesus Christ and his likeness by the Spirit of Christ who lives within us. And in our Western culture, we have made the mistake and the fallacy of defining Christianity of things you do not do. You don't gamble. You don't take drugs. You don't drink alcohol. You don't commit adultery. You don't use tobacco products. You don't, don't, and don't, don't. There are some things we don't do, but that happens automatically because of the thing we do do. 
which is place God number one in our lives. Why is it when we do the commandments, we forget the number one commandment? And that's where we begin, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus is Lord of your life. He is the master. He is the king. And I want his mind. And I want to live his way. And I want to act like him and think like him. And you begin with that. And all those don'ts begin to drop off on their own accord. We focus on the do's and don'ts because then we can put our parameters around and we can judge people. Oh, you fit and you don't fit. You still do that? You're not as good a Christian as me. And that's the wrong attitude. That is not the mind of Christ, ladies and gentlemen. The mind of Christ says, I love you. You've been in adultery. You've had how many husbands, and the one you're living with is not your husband. But I tell you, Jesus can come into your house and change you. (laughs) That's the mind of Christ. We focus on the sin in the church, and God focuses on the sinner. That's good preaching. It's nowhere in here. Where am I at? Humility, daily obedience, sharing Jesus to others, spiritual growth, and a real, up-to-date, vital, on-fire relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us to, ladies and gentlemen. Is your spirit on fire today? Is there a passion burning within your heart to be like Jesus? To be like Jesus, all I ask is to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask to be like him. To be Jesus. To have his mind. Family altar time. Is your relationship with Christ as real now as it was when you first became a Christian? You have no right to slack off. You have no right to back up and fold your arms and sit down. We have no right to waltz our way and rock our way into heaven. We have no right to take this thing for granted. We are in a war, ladies and gentlemen, and that war is not with flesh and blood. It's with principalities and powers and wickedness. Who wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy you. The path to victory is the path of surrender. To the mind of Christ and his lordship in your life. Let's talk to him in prayer this morning as the praise team comes. Lord Jesus, we just bow before you today and invite you right now. Speak to our hearts. Lord, if the flame is getting low and dull, we pray that you will relight the flame. Kindle it, throw some wood on the fire, and let us start burning for Jesus Christ. Lord, we need some Christians that burn for Jesus. The world has seen enough of the lackadaisical hide behind mama's skirts or wherever. I don't know where they hide. And Lord, I have a problem with this because I've been taught this.
Lord, help us to branch out and begin to see that we need to be more bold in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Getting it out into our world. So, Lord, it's a time of surrendering to you at the cross and asking you to fill us with the mind of Jesus and make us, Lord, the disciples and followers of you that you want us to be. Help us to declare Jesus is Lord this morning. Help us to live Jesus is Lord. Help us to think Jesus is Lord in our lives. Do your work, Holy Spirit, we pray. Lord, we pray today and hold up these that are here praying, but there's others that need to be praying along with me for the mind of Christ. Help us, Lord, to seek after the mind of Christ. Help us to put this passage of Scripture into our minds and so develop it that it becomes who we are every day of our life. Take the attitude, the temperament, the meekness, the submissive will of Jesus. And every day ask our Father, what do you want us to do today? Who do you want us to reach out to today? Who can be the disciple that we touch today? And who can we encourage? Who can we help? Who can we strengthen? To go through life imitating Jesus. To go through life living Jesus. To be, Lord, and to do Jesus to our world. So I pray that you will guide each one of us as we surrender to you because I've learned a long time ago you're only a Lord over what I surrender and there's some things that we tend to keep back to ourselves and not surrender to Jesus and whatever we don't surrender to Jesus is the thing that keeps us from being all that Jesus wants us to be we limit the mind of Christ by controlling we have to release we have to forgive as we've been forgiven. Lead us beside the green pastures and still waters. Restore our soul. Even walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And know that you will be there with us. Life with this world around us is hard. But in the mind of Christ, we can make it. So today, as the body of Christ, we surrender to you. Help us, Lord, as we begin to have this conversation of what can we do? How do we reach out beyond the four walls? How, Lord, can we become more like Jesus? To find the woman at the well, to find the beggar in the street, to find the leper, to find the one that needs that touch, and give them Jesus Christ so they can walk and leap and praise the Lord. And I just pray that you'll help us to see that there's changed lives waiting for us to get out in the harvest field. They're pre-Christians that have yet to experience the love of Jesus. Lords, we surrender to you. Be with those in the hospitals today. We pray that you will give physicians guidance. Thankful, Lord, that you've helped some this week with surgeries, but you're going to help some more. This next week, you, O oh God, are the great physician. 
We're grateful, Lord, that uh, you are helping in healing. You're also, Lord, giving strength day by day. You supply our needs. You never leave us nor forsake us. You are God. Transitions that go on in life are hard. But God is greater than any transition. (laughs) God is greater than any problem. Our faith still looks up to you, Lord. And we believe that you will help us all the way my Savior leads me. Lord, we're trusting in you today. We give you the praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. You may be seated. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're looking for a church in the Brazil, Indiana area, the Brazil Church of the Nazarene invites you to join us as we seek him, celebrate him, and serve him. Each Sunday morning, we have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and a worship service at 10 a.m. During worship, we have We Worship for preschool-age kids and a children's service for elementary students. On Wednesday nights, we have a prayer service and activities for teens. For this information, news, a schedule of events, and much more, be sure to visit us online at brazilnaz.com. That's B-R-A-Z-I-L-N-A-Z.com. Thank you, and God bless.